Hello and welcome to the new series of Parkinson's Life, the award-winning podcast offering a voice to the global Parkinson's community. Each episode, we bring together people impacted by the condition for an honest conversation, to share their stories, perspectives and ideas on how to live well with Parkinson's. This episode was funded by Britannia Pharmaceuticals and participants have received an honorarium for their time. In this episode, we're looking at what it means to reach an advanced stage of the condition. Because Parkinson's disease is so individualised, its progression is not black and white. The term advanced Parkinson's generally refers to the stage at which symptoms have a bigger impact on day-to-day life. At this stage, medications may not be as effective, and people with the condition may begin to rely more on care. Our first guest is Colin Cheeseman, a former local authority chief executive based in Chester, UK, who at 74 has lived with Parkinson's disease for two decades. Colin has been able to maintain a good quality of life by focusing on his health, community and adopting a positive outlook. But in the past few years, his Parkinson's symptoms, like involuntary movement and loss of balance, have become more challenging. He is joined by Dr Nishantha Silva, a geriatrician based in Grantham, UK, who has specialised in Parkinson's disease for 10 years. As a doctor, Nishantha was drawn to the complexity of Parkinson's and motivated by the experiences of his own father, who lived with the condition. He is committed to providing holistic treatment to his patients and strongly believes that the right care can ensure long, fulfilling lives for people with Parkinson's. In this episode, Colin will discuss his experience of living with Parkinson's disease and Nishantha will share how people at an advanced stage of the condition can manage their symptoms. During this episode, you might hear some noises which are caused by Colin's dyskinesia or involuntary movements, one of the symptoms of Parkinson's. I'm Colin, I'm 74 years old and I was diagnosed with Parkinson's oh, in the year 2001, so in, in my early 50s really. At that time I was a local authority chief executive of a very big local authority, so you could say um, at the top of a quite a big organisation, the age of early 50, I was at the top of my game. My name is Nishanta Silva. I'm one of the consultant geriatricians and uh, specialists in Parkinson's disease and related movement disorder. I'm also the lead for Parkinson's disease, and I work at Kingsmill Hospital in Mansfield, which is a fantastic hospital. And um, I started working at Kingsmill about uh, nine years ago, but I I have been uh, working with people with Parkinson's disease for over a decade now. I had a, a history of diagnosis, which I guess Nishant will, will um, probably know quite well, really. But uh, I, I used to play a lot of racket sports when I was younger. Uh, I had trouble with my right arm and it wouldn't grip properly and had sort of rheumatic type uh, features about it. But I had a very, very astute GP. Um, and uh, after having had cortisone injections and stuff like that um, in, in, in the arm, um, he said, I think you should go and see a neuro- neurologist. He didn't tell me what he suspected, and I didn't really know what a neurologist did, to be quite honest. He sent me off to see a neuro- neurologist locally. I just said I went on my own. I didn't. So I wasn't expecting a, a significant diagnosis or anything like that. Um, I didn't. My wife didn't bother to come. And, uh, well, I remember the, um, the occasion in his office very, very clearly because he gave me an examination and so on. And uh, he wrote his notes 
And while he was writing his notes, she said, I'm sorry to spoil your evening, but you were probably in the early stages of Parkinson's. What he then went on to say was, well, you're, you're, you're very, been, been diagnosed at a very early stage. Uh, we, no treatment we can offer you at this, at this point in time. Uh, I'll see you in six months. Um, uh, go and get on with the rest of your life, more or less. Uh, thank you, Colin. Well, Shant, I, I gather that you, you, you do have some personal, as opposed to purely um, uh, medical interest in Parkinson. I don't know if you care to tell us what you can. Yes, I haven't, you know, I don't normally much uh, speak about. Uh, it was my father who had Parkinson's disease. He was diagnosed at 55 and I was just entering into my university. So um, I couldn't kind of manage him or, you know, give advice. I wasn't a Parkinson's specialist. Uh, but I so there were so many unmet needs, particularly related to motor fluctuations and non-motor symptoms that could have, you know, uh, made a difference um, if we approached it differently. This is, you know, many years before. Um, so that actually uh, inspired me. And I am always keen and, and motivated to ensure that the patients of Parkinson's disease are given the best they can. Um, I know it is a progressive disease, it interferes with your life, but there are lots of things can be done. And I wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, the people do have information and opportunity to uh, have those um, interventions. I'm sure that makes you a better doctor, as it were, in terms of really understanding the circumstances that people cope with on an everyday basis really yes that certainly that those memories are there with me and and they do really you know shape your life if i to say when you when you try and treat some other persons and as you said it is important uh, every clinicians look parkinson's patients holistically not only the you know the motor fluctuations and non-motor symptoms and not only the medications that they have been given but holistically, what are the conditions they have, you know, other psychosocial issues, cognitions, so on. Yeah, it did change my life. I mean, it was very, I mean, looking back on it, it caused the most enormous changes in, in my life. Not, all, not, not, not necessarily for the worse, but it changed. So, Colin, you said that you were diagnosed uh, with Parkinson's disease uh, about 20 years ago. Could you talk us through the progressions of the disease and what you experienced? Yeah, yeah um, it's difficult for me to distinguish between you know, the, the hard physical changes that Parkinson's brought about to uh, aspects of what I do and the, the life that I created for myself after being diagnosed. But just very briefly on that, I'm very supported, very lucky to be supported by a supportive family and wife. And we decided when we'd absorbed the, um, the diagnosis, as it were, that there were things that we wanted to do in life and it might be more difficult for us to do them later on. I might deteriorate more quickly than the normal people. And um, we wanted to give ourselves time to do that. We both decided to retire, even though we were in a, 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 at a relatively early age of 
54 for me and much the same for my wife. We did the sums and worked out what our pensions would come to. And we decided, well, we'll retire and do what we can to try and fulfill some of the other things that we wanted to do in life. The interesting thing, I think, there was that having taken that decision and retired from, um, you know, a, a busy career and expecting to have changes and so on coming upon me fairly quickly, I found that wasn't the case. I found that the more I actually did, the more I could do. That really is the background to, to how I've spent the last 20 years. And it's only really in the last five or six years that it started to kick in. And particularly in the last, in the last couple of years, particularly during lockdown and so on, it has really given me a lot of, a lot of problems, um, both uh, psychologically, I think, and in the um, physical sense. But very briefly, my now... I do have problems with balance. You can probably see I'm, I'm dyskinetic. I, I have problems with gait. I have to be very careful about things like riding a bike and, and, and so on, which I, which I love doing. And the, and the treatments have got progressively um, more of a challenge, I think, to, to, treat, to keep the condition under control. So from your story, uh, one thing strike that the Parkinson's disease is a very variable and diverse disease. Not only the progressions, but the whole picture, the shape of the disease is very different to people to people. And I could see that you had a reasonable, good control uh, for many years. And then you started to develop some gaps in your control what we call the wearing off uh, or off periods or motor fluctuations. And of course, with that dyskinesia. And one of the other thing you mentioned is that your treatment regimen has become complex compared to what we, what you used to take in the past. And these are the essence of uh, features that one could say that you are in an advanced stage of Parkinson's disease. And I really wanted to kind of uh, bust the myth that we have that advanced Parkinson's disease mean that, you know, everything is at the end. It is not the case. You know, it is a different stage of the disease which need different approaches and different uh, way of uh, treatment uh, and adjustments. Can you tell me what symptoms are really bothering uh, at this stage of the disease for you? The main ones are movement control, initiating movement, that sort of tottery gait that Parkinson's people often display. And then you, you, you launch yourself across a room, for example, and you can't stop, you know, you so that, that, that's, that's quite serious because I feel quite publicly exposed on that. And uh, for that reason, I, 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 I use, a, use a stick. I've never wanted to be seen as a person with Parkinson's. You know, I don't like to be seen through the prism of Parkinson's. I like to be seen for me. But having a stick and, and so on starts to make you look different and it does identify you. So... Balance has proved to be a problem. I've had, I've started to have falls off my bike. I've had trouble with 
bladder control, which I'm currently seeing a urologist about, and it looks as though there may be a way through that. Starting to get stiffer, I move very slowly. The other thing is, I mean, not as a consequence of Parkinson's, but I have severe sciatic pain and that combined with the parkinson's problems of gait and so on turns the knife if you will i mean my take on parkinson's i don't know whether you would agree with this is that uh, you, you can sort of personalize it as somebody with the condition if you've got something that's um, vaguely wrong with you then parkinson's will seek it out and make it feel worse absolutely uh, yeah. yeah that's 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 how i i read it so do you understand why these changes have happened with the Parkinson's disease? Well, I think I've got a good medical understanding of the, uh, the, the way the brain works, problems with, with dopamine, the um, neurological pattern, if you like, of motor control and so on. And I mean, that, in a sense, I suppose, is, is, is well established. The, even in the yes. 20 years that I've been involved, the the issue of non-motor symptoms was hardly on the agenda 20 years ago, but now is much, much more to the fore. And, you know, it, it, gets, it gets a lot of, a lot of treatment. So that's, that's a big change, actually. And the, yeah, in the, in the drugs that are available for, to help with those other symptoms are positive addition to the armory, as it were. Yeah, so, so as you said, you know, as the, as the disease starts, uh, at the beginning of your diagnosis, you do have a lot of dopamine cells in your brain. When we give the medications, uh, you know, the, the cells able to store those medications, those dopamine, and even if you miss a tablet or, you know, even if you delay your tablet, you will not feel the symptoms because, you know, you have a reserve and it secrete the dopamine. Uh, as and when necessary. So people become almost back to normal with the initial medication. And sometimes we call that is as a honeymoon period. And the rate of progressions and the pattern of progression, as I said, is very different to patients to patient. As the disease progresses, as the pathology involves more and more part of the cells, part of the brain, your reserve goes down so that your brain start to depend on the medications coming to your brain. So if you delay or if you miss the tablet, you haven't got much reserve in the brain and then you start feeling the symptoms. And that is the, you know, the beginning of what we call is an advanced stage. You start experiencing wearing off, particularly first thing in the morning because the night tablets is, uh, you know, you take a long, long time ago. And you might feel, you know, tremors are coming, um, you're a bit slower. Um, and it, as it progresses, you know, you, you will feel that your medications are not uh, holding enough until the next uh, tablet. One other things happen with the disease progressions is that the, the therapeutic level you need in your blood become very narrower. The medications, sometimes the level might goes up uh, and then you might start to feel side effect. And it may not reach that narrow therapeutic target, then you may feel uh, that it is not working. So those are the times that you take your tablet, unlike in the early stages, you may not feel the effect. Sometimes the effect may come after one hour of taking the tablet. And sometimes, even whether you've taken a tablet or not, you might 
get an off period where there is a, you know, reduced uh, uh, symptom control. And with that, as you said, there is a lot of non-motor accumulating. The anxiety, the panics, you know, the mood fluctuations might come into the picture. And to manage those, the clinician will, you know, change your medications. They might increase medications. They might fractionate your medications. They might add more different kind of enzyme inhibitors. And then you start feeling some of the adverse effect of the medications. So the basically, these three things that occurring gaps in your uh, symptoms, you know, the gaps of uh, gaps in the control of your disease, you know, higher non-motor burdens and a complex regimen that you need to take to manage your disease together with a drug-related adverse effect, when they are appearing, we probably, you know, uh, know that the patient is entering into an advanced stage. And that is very important to recognize because there's a tendency in Parkinson's patients that they think, oh, my Parkinson's is getting worse. This is how I need to live. They put on with that. Unless they bring this up and discuss, then, you know, you will not be able to explore the next stage mm. of your treatment. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do agree with and recognize all the things that you've said. And I think I'm at the stage now where the reliance on the medication is becoming more and more overt rather than perhaps in, in previous uh, years going back some time. You know, it's not been so overt. I've felt comfortable. I've not felt a lot of change. Um, I've done a lot of the, uh, the things that were in my bucket list of things to do. Um, but now I'm, I'm starting to get very anxious. The, the, um, the, the off periods um, kick in very, very sharply. Um, and they're very much associated with the timetable for taking the medication and so on. So I, I, I do... Um, I do understand all of that, yeah, and it's uh, it, it's it's very um, it's been quite a, a psychological um, issue for me to deal with because I, for the first time, I, I don't see uh, a steady deterioration and one which I can uh, sort of accommodate easily. I'm seeing quite a quite a steep. Uh, change in in the things that I that I do and how the condition affects the things that I do. You're listening to the second episode of Series Two of the Parkinson's Life podcast with Colin and Nishantha, funded by Britannia Pharmaceuticals. Be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform to hear more from the series. So what are the things that you have done to help with these changes? Um, oh, well, I think the, um, the, the, the first thing is the positive attitude. That's actually quite difficult. I mean, I've always I've done, just, I've done a lot of work with, with people with Parkinson's and newly diagnosed and so on. And I've, I suppose I've held myself out as a bit of a role model. You know, it's, it's not as bad as... You may think it is, you know, you've got to take care and so on, but with a positive attitude, you can achieve most of what you want to achieve. 
and so on and so forth. But to maintain that positive role model, if you like, against the background of your condition actually getting a lot worse has been been quite a quite a problem for me. No, I, I get that. I mean, I see from from patients uh, one of the main frustrations with the Parkinson's disease. One thing is uh, certain uh, of the Parkinson's disease is the is the unpredictability, um, and uh, and only thing that can be predicted uh, predictably is the unpredictability. Um, so so it is it gives a greater challenge uh, for patients to adapt to to the conditions when it is uh, uh, advanced stage. Are there any particular things you you find it helpful yeah getting as much support as you can and knowing where to get it is very important as you said right at the beginning you know with the with the variety of issues there are to deal with really trying to avoid dependency as long as you can and it's not always easy and sometimes it involves taking risks but um it's it's really important to try and ensure that you are in control of your Parkinson's rather than your Parkinson's being in control of you. Because I think once you let, once you let the condition um, lead where you go, you lose a degree of independent sort of decision-making, really, almost life. So you, 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 you've, got, you've got to try and get your head round um, with with all the support that there is, but to try and get your head round what the possibilities are. I mean, I've tried all sorts of lunatic things um, in terms of trying just 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 trying them out. I suppose the the most bizarre thing was when I was seventy. I said to the family, "I don't want any more worthy works of self improvement or anything like that. I want something quite you know trivial." And um, I got. A pair of tap dancing shoes and uh, a set of inline rollerblades. I haven't killed myself on either, but I've, I'm now giving up the rollerblades. And the, um, uh, the, 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 the tap dancing has been knocked on the head, as so many things have, by the fact that the classes have stopped. So I've missed out on 18 months of the tap dancing classes. And during that time, I've stopped. You know, it's, it's, it's now proved to be impossible to uh, to carry on with that i mean i wouldn't um, i'm sure i'm sure the gentleman wouldn't recommend that his clients go out and or his patients go out and get um get inline rollerblades that is the human nature you know that yeah. is the strength of the of the of the parkinson's patients you know you need to take the challenge and and then push yourself yeah. Um, you should not just spiral down that, oh, my God, I have been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, yeah. end of the story. No, take it as a challenge. You know, there are many things you can do. It's never late to develop, you know, no. new hobbies no. um, and new personal connections and, and, and do different things. Yeah. I mean, I did. I have spent a lot of one of the things that I've always wanted to do is to travel more, and I've, I've, I've effectively been around the world with with Parkinson's. Actually, I've attended most of the um, World Parkinson Congress meetings that come around every three years. Um, last one was um, in Kyoto. I've been to two in the states, Portland and well in Canada, um, uh, in um, in Montreal. 
you know, so I mean, I, I and I mean that's been. I've obviously got an interest in in Parkinson's, but I've been. I've, I've tried to use it as a, a way of building a different sort of uh, life post getting diagnosed as as before. And I'm getting dangerously near to saying Parkinson's is the best thing ever happened to me, but that that you know that clearly is. Um, it's not true, but it's putting 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 the best that I could do to um, to make a worthwhile um, life out of living with Parkinson's. And and I wish uh, you know all my patients uh, do think the way you think and approach uh, the disease. It'll make you know everybody's uh, life very easy. And it'll, more than anything, it'll make your, the patient's uh, journey, as well as the, the caregiver's uh, journey, uh, more palatable and more, more manageable. And, and there is always uh, happiness you can find, you know, in every situation. And it is important that, you know, you have that attitude and that, that's really, really well. Um, and, and I don't, you know, uh, uh, propose you to do uh, uh, things, as you said, uh, exercises. But, you know, uh, you know, even at advanced stages, you know, there are exercises people can do, you know, the bed exercises, the chair exercises. So it's, it's never ending. There's no, no, no end. What I find very, very supportive and what I think a lot of people with Parkinson's do find uh, is a great support and a help is continuity of uh, advice and support. I'm extraordinarily lucky to have the same consultant deal with me personally for 15 years. And, you know, that built up, as you as you imply, a level of trust, you know, some great support that I had because I, I knew that he knew the uh, the history and yeah we, we have a good relationship now that is, is I mean it's difficult to replicate in the um, sort of organisations that we have but the more we can do it I think the more comfortable uh, patients feel and and we are actually lucky to have a great team uh, in our hospital we have other clinicians the nurses uh, Parkinson's nurses as well as we have specialized neuro rehabilitation team. And, and we really work as a team. We discuss patients uh, among uh, other multidisciplinary uh, specialists, as well as we do have advanced uh, clinic where we get the patients into the clinics and they have a, a physiological and occupational therapy assessments and then combine discussions. I think it is important as long as the patients understand why these things happen, particularly their caregivers understand why these things are happening, that will make their life very easy. I had a patient where the patient actually is having a lot of REM sleep behavior disorder. So during the nighttime, they have these nightmares and then they wake up. Sometime with the REM sleep behavior disorder, they can have hallucinations immediately after waking up. So the patients get agitated, confused, and disoriented. And then the, you know, the, the, the partner could not understand what is happening. And then the partner was you know, saying that this is, you know, this, you, you are talking, uh, you know, this is not what is happening. So there is a confrontation and argument. But when we explain to the 
partner that this is actually, you know, uh, a sleep-related uh, disorder and patient is unaware about what is happening. What you need to do is to just reorient the patients um, and uh, reassure the patients. And these things, you know, help both ways. So it is understanding of the symptoms change as well as what lifestyle changes you need to do for unpredictable uh, manifestations of the disease are very important. You need to, you know, kind of have a, a proper planning to everything you do when you are going out. You know, things kind things may go go worse, isn't it? So you may need your rescue tablet. You need to plan your time. Having tick boxes, you know, when you go to your doctor, when you go to your hospitals, all those things will help to deal with this unpredictable nature of the disease. But having said that. You know, when you have these unpredictable fluctuations and medication side, eff uh, side effect, there are other options to help with those. I don't like this, uh, you know, word advanced stage because sometimes, you know, it can frighten people. People with advanced stage do live normal active life when they are really controlled, when they have a good own period, they, they may look normal. Um, so it is important that, you know, uh, understand and bring it up with your clinicians and then plan out what other measures uh, you need to do. It may be that the oral medications are so complex and so regular that you may have to do something differently, like infusion therapy or surgical options to kind of mitigate these variations. So do, it is important to identify these variations and bring it up with the clinicians. And I feel that there is a space for improvement for doctors actually to, to discuss and educate people way before these motor fluctuations and dyskinesia developed um, so that the patient is aware to bring these up to the clinicians and to discuss the next level of uh, management. It's not every patient that would need advanced therapy. There are fairly uh, a considerable number of patients who, although will have a motor fluctuations and dyskinesia, will live the uh, rest of their uh, disease period with oral medications. So it is important to identify the diversities in the disease, the fluctuations, and tailor-made your management to the patients. And as you said, continuity of care, good support, educations is extremely important uh, for a positive outcome. Yeah, I mean, two, two points on that. One, I mean, the, you, you commented about planning and that's something that, um, again, I, I, I'm really keen to encourage people to do not not simply in the short term, though, in terms of, um, you know, dealing with a particular symptom. But I've found that planning, what, what what's the next five years going to be like? What's my family going to be doing? What's life going to look like? And, and what do I want to do um, to influence influence that? What do I have to start to do to influence that? Because that, that in a sense, again, is um, is a way of helping the patient feel more in control if you've got objectives um, 
they don't have to be sophisticated, but but you know they they can be they can be limited. But you like to go on playing bowls for your club or something like that for another ten years. Well, you know what are you going to do to 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 make sure you can? So that that's that was one thing, and the other thing was it's a sort of gloss on what you were saying about managing other symptoms. What I think the message from me would be. Look, be aware of what the potential problems and issues are for the condition, but don't wait until they've got too bad to have any effective result out of treatment. It's about investing time early on when you've not got uh, the weight of the condition bearing down on you to get things as right as you can for the future. So... If you feel your voice is getting a bit croaky, well, don't wait until it's gone. Go and get some speech and language therapy. You know, it's, that's, that's the sort of thing. And, and use the time that you've got to make sure that, that you, you're in a position to um, tackle the problem when it comes along. I think, you know, having honest and open discussions with the patients and the carers, it is a progressive conditions, but people do enjoy a great quality of life for a long time to come. So patients need to work around the Parkinson's disease, take it positively and understand the disease and particularly understand how it can progress. It is very variable patients to patients, but when you start seeing the differences in your control, you need to pick it up with your team. Say that I am experiencing these symptoms. What are those? What can I do about it? And that is important. Um, we don't want to miss the boat because some of those uh, advanced therapies, um, sometime, you know, uh, may not be suitable when you have certain subset of symptoms. We don't want to wait until such time. We need to bring them up early and then discuss and explore the options and and people do uh, respond well to some of those treatment one of the things I, I i see as i said it's a very diverse disease and the progression is very variable sometimes it gives uh, and your clinicians and your team would be the best persons with you to kind of plot your future to so say where things are going. Generally, if you put your last couple of years into future, that is most likely is it is going to be uh, in terms of progressions. And it's sometime it can be um, a little bit faster in some people and in some people it is very slow and people will live with, you know, two or three, uh, three or four times a day medications for the whole of their disease. Um, so it is because it is important to understand those things so that you can plan, as Colin said, your future. You don't want it to unnecessarily rush and do things that you could do if you can do these things for the next 10 years or so. At the same time, you would want it to do what you wanted to do in your life if you are going to be good over the next five years or so. So it's important that you discuss and understand how your disease progresses, also to explore the other options that you have 
uh, for the treatment. I think also life is a challenge and you've got to accept challenges sometimes if you want to achieve anything. I mean, just a sim- simple case, because I've done a lot of talking to, to Parkinson's groups and people, and I went out to uh, a talk one evening to, I think it was a women's guild or something like that, and we did the talk, and, you know, afterwards, sort of mingling with a cup of tea, and a lady came up to me, she's quite an elderly lady, and she said, Oh, Mr. Cheeseman, I just come to thank you. And I said, well, I don't know you need to uh, thank me. This is what I do. I go around and talk to groups and explain as best I can what's going on. She said, no, no. She said, I heard you talk last year. I was at the time I got Parkinson's, and at the time I was wondering whether to visit my uh, sister in Australia. She said, and I couldn't make up my mind what to do. But after I'd heard you talk, I went and did it. And she said, it's the best thing, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to sometimes, you've got to bite the bullet on that if, if you want to go to Australia. You know, you've got to, you've got to snatch the opportunity. So uh, I just want to say thank you, Colin. You uh, are great, uh, inspirational persons and you have done a lot to not to, you know, not to other peoples giving a role model how to take it positively and you know taking the challenge and not giving up um, and thank you it was very nice talking to you yeah well it's been, been a pleasure for me to talk to you as well Parkinson's Life magazine is produced by Speak Media on behalf of the European Parkinson's Disease Association the leading voice for Parkinson's in Europe for the latest research and information on Parkinson's visit epda.eu.com This episode was initiated, created and funded by Britannia Pharmaceuticals. The content of this podcast was up to date and accurate at the time of recording in June 2021. The views expressed in this podcast represent the speaker's own opinions and experiences. Speakers may express personal opinions that are not necessarily shared by Britannia Pharmaceuticals. Content from this episode has been reviewed by Britannia to ensure compliance with the ABPI and EFPIA codes of practice for the pharmaceutical industry. Any adverse events discussed within this episode have been reported to the regulatory authorities. All adverse events should be reported to the relevant regulatory authority. Thanks for listening to the Parkinson's Life podcast. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review. It helps make sure that others can find us. Keep a lookout for our next episode this summer. And until then, take care.